and we do have a new, a new one today, but I'm going to read the text first, and I'm going to tell you what the title is, because the title may not make sense unless I read the text. So can we find it together if you have your phone with you? Uh, Joshua chapter 5, and uh, it's going to be on the screen if you don't, but I encourage you to find it. In Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 15, do a little exegetical preaching today, unpack this little passage of scripture. And it says here, Joshua 5, verse 13 to 15. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? Pretty good question. Someone standing in front of you with a sword, right? But I like the way Joshua carried himself. He, he went up to him. He demanded it. Neither one, he replied. I am, look at these words, the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua did what I would have done, right? <laughs> at this, Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence. I am your command, Joshua said. Sorry, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. I need you to help me preach this. Look to someone next to you. As I consider our title today, say neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, a little louder than that. They can't hear. Neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Stay on the scene. Stay on the scene. With a gangster me. With a gangster. <laughs> okay, try another neighbor next to you. Say neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Stay on the scene. Stay on the scene. With a gangster me. With a gangster me. Can we preach this today? Anybody excited about the message? Today, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us what prayer can do, for teaching us how to ask for more and desire more and be prepared for more, the more that you want to give us. Lord, I pray as we teach and look at this lesson today, as we communicate this, that Lord, our lives truly would be touched and changed, and that we would level up in our experience with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love Joshua. I love Joshua. He's a very unique person in the Bible for a lot of reasons. Uh, I love the way he uh, succeeds a great leader. Um, as a younger pastor, I had the opportunity twice to witness a transfer of leadership from a seasoned leader to a new leader. I was not, uh, in this particular the two times I'm thinking of, the one transferring in, but I saw the transition of how difficult it can be sometimes to be a young or an inexperienced leader and come into a place of leadership. And I love that about Joshua, because Joshua just had a whole different swag about him. He was just a different type of leader, and how you'd have to be different to follow Moses, right? Moses, the great Moses, right? He's the elite when it comes to leadership, uh, who spent a lot of his years in very prominent leadership. He was grown, grown, raised in Pharaoh's house, and 
left and went away and came back to lead God's great people. So Joshua takes over Moses. And Moses had become an icon, right? Moses had become a symbol of leadership. And Joshua takes his place. Now what's interesting is that the word, the name Jesus, the name Jesus actually comes from the word, the name Joshua. Joshua is kind of a metaphor for Jesus or a foreshadow. It's a good theological word for Jesus because Joshua is the one that fulfills the promise that God had said to bring his people into Canaan. And we know that Jesus as our savior, as our commander, as our leader, will bring us into spiritual Canaan, to heavenly Canaan, to the Canaan that we're looking forward to. Just tell your neighbor, this is not Canaan. I know, I know that life is sweet and bitter. I know that there's a lot of things that you look around the world and say, man, I wish I had this, and I wish I had this kind of money, and I wish I could look like this, and I wish my life would have went this direction if I hadn't made this decision. But the good news is that this isn't Canaan, that God is looking forward to bringing us into Canaan. And Jesus, through his ministry, through his sacrifice, as the great commander and chief will bring us into that place called Canaan, that place called heaven. If I had time today, I might, and actually in the fall, I think I'm going to bring some, some things up in the fall. I'll go back a little bit and, and bring to us some things uh, found in the books of Daniel Revelation. I think it's time to do that again. And as we talk about that, we'll, you'll learn that heaven, although it's a place, uh, there's nobody there right now. That we don't die and go to heaven. I wish you could take some more time. I might have dropped a bombshell on some of you. I apologize for that. Just come back in a couple months and I'll straighten it out. But that Jesus is looking forward to bringing us into Canaan. When those who are dead and those who are alive, when we meet him in the air, and when Jesus comes again, that's when we will go into spiritual Canaan, heavenly Canaan. Amen. I love about Joshua is the qualities that he has. He has a bunch of different qualities. He was a servant. He served Moses. He, he served him. Moses was the leader. He wasn't trying to jockey for position. He just served him in his own way. Whatever you need, Moses. What would you like me to do, Moses? And what Joshua's role really was, was to be a commander in the army. Joshua was a warrior. And he was a leader. I love these qualities. Servant, commander, warrior, leader. It's, it's very rare sometimes that all of these qualities are in one person. As Maggie talked about her beloved husband, I believe she believed he had all of those in 10 times more. She just loves that man. That's good. Servant, commander, warrior, leader. I think it's the other way around, really. I think Joanne loves that about her. I don't know how this sermon turned into Maggie and Joanne. But I should have put them in my illustration next time. I love these qualities about him. And he had a really courageous job to do. As I mentioned, it was his role to now lead the people into Canaan. God had told Moses, Moses, you had worked, you had labored for all this time, but I'm not going to let you do this last piece. And the interesting thing about it was on their journey, as they had been kind of wandering around and they were getting close to Canaan, they had something uh, that was up against them, and that was their first battle. And the first battle, the first battle they were going to fight was Jericho. Now, I want to show you a picture 
of what Jericho probably looked like back in the days. A lot of the cities were built this way. As you can see, this replica, this image of what Jericho was like. Jericho was a city surrounded by walls. In many cities in those days, that was kind of their line of defense. These walls would be very, very tall, and you know, there's no planes or drones or anything like that. Uh, so it was really hard to breach or to get into a city uh, when they had walls. And so walls of Jericho were very, very well known, and they were, they were it was right in a perfect spot where God was beginning to bring them into Canaan. And this was essentially the last stop or the first stop as they began to enter Canaan. And Joshua knew they were not going to enter Canaan without fighting. That along the way, they were going to have to fight for what God has given them. Can I just tell you right now, a lot of times we ask God for things. We ask God to bless us with this and increase this for us. But the reality is, we're going to have to fight some battles along the way. There are going to be some battles that are going, we're going to have to fight. Because there were people in Canaan that were inhabiting the land. It wasn't just empty. They were going to have to come through and fight the battle. The good news about this battle was that it was God's battle. See, God, the Bible tells us that God had already cast judgment on many of these nations. See, God had his own thing going with people. Don't ever feel like you're the only one God is talking to you and you're the only one God is working with. God had been working with all these nations and they had not wanted to submit to his leadership. And so it was great timing that God was going to bring his people into their land. Excuse me. They were inhabitants there, but they had to be removed. God sometimes brings us to places where there are battles, fight. There's people or something already living there and we need to inhabit the land. And so as Joshua is setting up to strategically figure out how this is going to work, how, is, how this battle is going to go, he comes down to this place, as we just read, comes out to this place that we just read, and he gets close to the town of Jericho. And as you can see there, uh, there's walls, right? And there's people on top of the city, but he's kind of a little bit away, and they probably don't see him there. So he's surveying the land. He's trying to figure out, okay, which way do we go? What are we going to do? And as he's there, the Bible says, he looks up, and he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Now just put yourself in that position, right? I don't know, he's probably like, where did the man come from? Because he didn't just, you know, he didn't just arbitrarily just walk up somewhere, right? <laughs> he had to find a good place so he could survey the land. And he's thinking about it. I don't know if he's drawing plans. The Bible says he looks up and sees a man with a sword, as she's saying, in his hand. Now, if you were, let's say, in the park down the street, <laughs> and you looked up and somebody was standing there with a gun in their hand, right? How would you feel? Joshua, he doesn't flinch, he doesn't run, because the text would have said some of us, and Joshua ran, right? But that's not Joshua. He fled Jericho. No, Bible says he stood up. Look what he did. Bible says he went up to him. Can you kind of picture what Joshua's like? Here he looks up, sees a man with a sword, he's like, oh. So Joshua steps up to him, 
and says, are you a friend or a foe? Let's just cut the conversation, right? Let's cut the pleasant streets. I don't need to introduce myself. Let's just find out what this is going to be. Are you a friend or a foe? That's all. I've never seen you before. I just need to know who you are. Because I'm getting ready to hit you with this knife, right? You're getting ready to catch this blade across your chest. So I just want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, friend or foe. Say it quick. The man with the sword claps back. Can I use the modern vernacular so you got me? He says, neither. Listen to the response. Neither. Now, I show this picture. I know it's kind of cheesy. Um, we need some, some new artwork done, obviously, clearly. But I want you to see this picture that I have on the screen. You see that Joshua is standing there preparing for battle, and here is this man with the sword. As this conversation continues, Joshua realizes that this is not an ordinary man. Amen. This is not an ordinary man that he thought was there. He says, are you a friend or foe? The man with the sword in his hand. Remember, sword is still in the hand. He says, neither. Neither one. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Hmm. Joshua is the commander of what he perceives is God's army, yeah. the children of Israel. But this man introduces himself as the commander of the Lord's army. Yeah. Joshua immediately falls on his face to the ground in reverence. What do you think he figured out? He figured out and recognized that this is someone who he needs to show respect and honor to. Most biblical scholars will all agree that this is Jesus in human form. Yeah. This is the pre-carnate Jesus. This is the pre- Jesus that came as a child, showing up and visiting Joshua. All throughout scripture, there's different uh, references, especially in Daniel, to Jesus being the captain of the Lord's army. I want you to see that picture of Jesus today. As not just the lion and the lamb, as not just the priest and the prophet and the preacher, but as the commander, Amen. the one with the sword in his hand. And most scriptures, when it describes Jesus, it will describe him with a sword in his mouth. That his sword comes out of his mouth in Revelation. A sword that is double-edged, that is sharp, and it's the word of truth that when he speaks, he sets things right. That Jesus has a sword in his mouth. And so here is Jesus with a sword, and my man drops to the ground. Gangster recognize gangster, right? <laughs> Big bank, take little bank. I used to play that back in the day. Y'all don't know nothing about that, but I'm going to take the time to explain it. I, I love this because what's interesting today, as, as I bring this to you, is this little tension that's tucked into this. Tension that's tucked into this conversation. Because as he falls down, he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. He says, Joshua says, I'm at your command. What do you want me to do? I love this. He says, what, what should I do? Because remember, Joshua's been instructed to do what? 
bring the people into Canaan. That was his previous instructions, his chain of command. God told him, next step, Josh, uh, Jericho. So in his mind, here is the captain of the Lord's army, perhaps with some strategic things to give him, with some new counsel, maybe some help on how to defeat this wall. He simply says, take off your sandals for the shoes you are standing on. Stop, sorry, but take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. I, here's the first thing I want to show you. I want to make this point here. That there is a battle that God is already fighting. Amen. Did you notice the response that he said? He said, are you a friend or are you a foe? And then he asks, what should I do? In the context of the military pursuit he's already going on, and the commander doesn't even respond to that. He says, take off your shoes. Now, this is what I want you to understand, is that Joshua comes to this place, but somebody's already there on the scene. Joshua is going to scope out Jericho, but the captain of the Lord's army is already there. When he asks, are you a friend or a foe? Are you on my side or are you on their side? The response is neither. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not on anybody's side. Let that sink in for a second. Somebody told you when you become a Christian that God's on your side. Right? The Lord is on my side. Um, no, he's not. I'm going to unpack this in a little bit. Oh, we think God is definitely on their side. Because if I was this gender, or if I was this race, or if I grew up here, or if I had this opportunity, I would be here. Obviously, God is blessing them and not blessing me. And the commander is saying, no. You just happen to walk into a battle that I'm already fighting. Because bringing the people into Canaan was about a battle that God had already started. So there's a battle that God is already fighting. I want you to think about that. Because in the context of prayer, when we pray, we are not asking God to fight our battles. When I say, God, fight my battle, you started that battle. You started that fight. You entered into that. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to help you. All right? I'm trying to help you today. When we pray, because this level of series is about prayer, we're not asking God, God, fight our, my battle. We are asking God to show us the battle he's already fighting and give us the courage to fight with him. Do I need to rewind that for a second? We're not asking God Come fight my battle. Come deal with this issue. Come fight this. No, we're asking God, where are you already fighting? And then when you show me where you're fighting, I want the courage and the strength to fight with you. Amen. Here's the question that it raises. There are some battles that we shouldn't be fighting. Can I say it this way? You got to make sure you're fighting the right battle. We're tired, we're exhausted, we're limited, we're fatigued, we're irritable because we're fighting battles that we ain't supposed to be fighting. Come on. 
Can I say it this way? We're fighting people <laughs> that we ain't supposed to be fighting. Come on. We're fighting ourselves in ways that we're not supposed to be fighting. And here's, here's what I'm trying to get to today. It's that there is a battle that God is fighting. And when we have the courage to say, God, I want to fight and join your battle, it will give us freedom from the burdens and the battles that we often fight. And when we can understand that in some of these cases, most of these cases that God invites us to, he's already there. The courage is, are we going to fight with him or not? You can think about the battles you're facing, and sometimes I can identify with you that the courage is, am I going to fight this battle or not? Because I know what it's going to cost me. I know what it's going to lose. I know what I'm going to have to give up. I know what's going to have to be inconvenienced if I fight this battle. And I'm much more comfortable fighting things that I can win. I'm much more comfortable staying in places where I'm in control. But there comes a point when you run into a man with a bigger sword. And he says, are you with me or for me? Are you against me or are you riding with me? Because I'm already starting this battle and I need you to be a Joshua and fight with me. So let me bring some stuff out of this because this, this thing kind of messed me up. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. With you. This messed up the way I was thinking about prayer. Because when I thought about this, I said so many times I've asked God, God, could you do this for me? You ask that prayer? Mm -hmm. I need you to rescue me from this. I need you to do this for me. And I didn't really realize that I was praying the wrong prayer. Because if I believe that God is already fighting a battle, if I believe that God has already called me to Canaan, then that means along the way, he's going to lead me and initiate where I need to go. And part of the problem I was having was that I was fighting battles that I didn't need to fight. Right? I was turning my attention and direction toward things that I thought I could handle and I was losing every time. So many of you, some of you have heard my Red Robin stories. Red Robin was a big season in my life. I worked there. Almost feels like another life sometimes. I worked there in high school to uh, pay for um, the academy I was going to, a school that cost money. And uh, I had gotten kicked out of the public school. And so my mom said, hey, your education's on you, bro, so you better chip in to this bill. And this bill was expensive. And I was old enough uh, because I had repeated the 11th grade uh, to be 18 my senior year and have to work at Red Robin. So I worked at Red Robin for 18 through all of my lost years, pretty much for a long time. I worked there, that's how I got my money. I don't forget, um, we had this one manager, and uh, he was an interesting kind of dude. I don't really know if he was there to be a manager at Red Robin. I think he was like selling drugs and doing. All, I mean, he was just he was just a wild dude. He was just on some other stuff, and he would always be bragging. He'd pull his car up. He was so he was the kitchen manager. Is what he was, and he would pull up and park his car in the first parking space, like all of the guests were supposed to park in. He didn't care, and he would. <laughs> He would pull up and his car would be super clean and he would just be talking so much mess all the time. And I don't forget one time uh, somebody's car got broken into. This this one of these waitress, uh, waiters and she was really upset. They were like, oh my gosh, like the middle of the day. Somebody's car broken into. He came out of the kitchen 
I'm telling you exactly what he did. We were outside, police were getting called. He came walking out of the kitchen. <laughs> he walked out the front door, because I thought he was gonna be compassionate. He walked right over to her, walked right past her, and hit his alarm. <laughs> and walked right This dude is a cold dude. He just walked was like, <laughs> and walked right back in. I'm like, wow. So one day, um, I went to get my check. And you know, this is back in the day when we didn't have direct deposits. You had to actually go pick up your check. Anybody remember that? Yes. You tried to look at it just to make sure it was right. If you want to get nervous in front of your boss, you had to go cash the check in those days. So I remember one time, <laughs> I fucking told you, this dude was a cold dude. So you had to go get your check, right? So he would happen to be that day giving out the checks. He had my check. And he, and he looked at it to make sure it was me, right? Because he looked at my name and saw the amount. And he was like, hmm. He was like, hmm? He's like, he said this. You'd make a whole lot more money if you worked in the kitchen. Because I was working in the front. And I was like, this dude looked at my check and just clowned me, right? <laughs> he just roasted me, giving me my check. That's what he just did. I mean, he's just, hmm. If you want that, here you go. I'm like, He's like, you want to make some more money? You work in the kitchen with me. I was like, what? I was like, whatever. Then I thought about it, right? What kind of money are we talking? So he was like, I'll give you X amount. I was like, really? I was like, I don't know, man. I make tips right here. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Can I work in the kitchen? And then can I work in the front of the house if somebody needs me? Make my extra bread. So I, I knew he was a hustler. So he was like, yeah, I like that idea. I think he was thinking about how he could bust some tables, right? So he's like, cool. So right away, he was trying to like get me in a management position. He was just, I don't know what he saw. He was like, hey, I think you could be a manager. I'll give you a little more money. At least that's what he told me. I think he told everybody that. So we work harder. So one day, he came down and he was like, hey, you guys are going to be really busy today. I'm just letting you know. Because he never worked with us, right? Because he would like literally be the kitchen manager and he'd be upstairs somewhere. We didn't know where he was. And he would just, at the end of the shift, he's like, all right, see you guys later. He's like, you're going to be busy tonight. And I was like, okay. He's like, look, I'm going to put you in charge of this part of the kitchen. You got it covered. You're good. I'm like, okay, all right. So sure enough, we get everything ready. If you ever worked in a restaurant, you know how the tickets come out. And they're just running through. And we are trying to keep up. All of a sudden, my man comes smooth around the corner, right, and puts on some gloves. Now, he, I mean, he came around the corner to show us he was coming around the corner, too. He wasn't trying to be, you know, humble about it. No, he came around like this. And we're swaying. He's walking that slow. Reaches over, smiles. I mean, he's just, I mean, this dude is a trip. I mean, we are sweating. I mean, we're working hard, burning ourselves. He's putting the gloves on. He looks around, he walks over to a dude, and just says, get out the way, right? This is the dude that's putting the burgers in. He's like, get out the way. I'm like, what is this dude doing? He better slow us down, right? <laughs> this dude went to the grill and started killing it. He was killing the grill. I mean, he was, on, I was, I was surprised. He was, he was, hurry up, cussing at us. I mean, he just handled it. I was like, wow, we were just in awe. We just kept up, kept working. He was killing the grill. Every once in a while, he looked up and gave us a smirk and was just killing it. And he was yelling at people, 
And we just smashed it. I mean, we just took care of the business. I told you this guy was unorthodox. This guy told everybody to meet him outside. He went into the company cooler, took three packs of beer, didn't tell nobody, took everybody out in the back, and gave everybody a beer. People was under 21, he didn't even care. This guy's a son. He went, he went into the cooler and got it. Not out of his car. He went to where they sell beer. He just, he just went into the fridge, clunk, clunk, brought it out. And then look, nobody was on the line. Nobody was cooking, he didn't even care. Brought us out in the back. Here you guys go. Good job, boys. I'm like, this dude, I'm not even 21. I can't even drink this, first of all. Dude had the nerve to tell me <laughs> as we we're going in, make sure you clock out before the Sabbath tomorrow. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Because he, for some reason, I don't know why I'm getting so lost in this story. For some reason, he knew about, he knew I had to get off the Sabbath, and he was serious about that thing. He would, that's like the only other time I'd see him, he'd come running down the steps and say, hey, Terrence, clock out. He was serious about that for some reason. But I was so surprised that despite his demeanor and all of that stuff, that he knew how to handle his business. All right. All right. He had a bigger sword. And it's important to have to know that when you're fighting the battle, you're not fighting your battle. You're fighting his battle. You're fighting with him. And there's somebody named Jesus who is more powerful than yeah. you, who's yeah. stronger than you, yeah. who's wiser than yeah. you. And it's just amazing when you can be under the shadow of his work. And I, I think about this text here because, as I want to share with you today, about, I know this is a weird title, but I got to break things down to you uh, so that you can understand what I'm trying to say and then this title will make sense. So, I want to show you, this is how I'm going to do my points today. I want to tell you my points are what Jesus did not do. This is today, this sermon. I want to show you my points are what Jesus did not do. What Jesus is not doing. Because what I want us to understand is that if we understand that God is fighting a battle, some battles we're not supposed to be fighting. And if he calls us to the battle, we won't fight by ourselves. Because in the story, it wasn't about us. See, he knew that his reputation and his job was on the line. So he wasn't really helping us because he felt bad for us. He was helping us so he could stay up in the office. You know what I'm saying? He was handling his business so that he could be still the manager. And so it's really the same thing that Jesus is like, no, this, this battle here has got my name on it. Your battle, that's got your name on it. But this battle right here, this is protecting my name. And so I'm going to be involved. So here's what Jesus did not do. I love this. Back in the same text. This is what he did not do. Jesus is not thinking about fighting. He's ready to fight. Amen. Amen. Bible says that Joshua looks up and the man's got his sword in his hand. So, who is he threatened by? Was he threatened? Or was he ready to battle? Gun drawn, safety off, having a conversation. See, Jesus is not thinking about fighting. He's ready to fight. Here's where you got to level up at. Because sometimes you get stuck 
and thinking about fighting, and you're not ready to fight. Think about it. Think about that person you work with that you talk about behind their back because you don't want the confrontation with them. You don't really want to fight. You don't really want to have the discussion, but you want to go back and forth with somebody as you plan to have the conversation. Conversation, But when the opportunity comes up, you don't say anything. See, if you don't level up, you got to get past thinking about fighting. you got to be ready to fight. Yeah, when you come into your house and you know that the enemy's coming against you and your kids, you don't have to stop and think about it. You can already come home understanding that I'm getting ready to fight for this. No, my kids are not going to be disobedient to me. No, my kids are not going to be losing their mind. No, my children are going to understand what who God is and what he's doing. I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to be ready to fight. My sword is going to be drawn. I'm not going to be on the defense. I'm going to be on the offense. I'm not going to be reacting. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to engage in the fight. I'm going to be ready for the fight. Sometimes we lose simply because we're not ready. Just not ready. We want a relationship. We want this opportunity. We want this size of a church. But we're not ready for it. Jesus is not thinking about fighting. He's already made his mind up. My sword is drawn. I'm ready to engage. My weapon is prepared. I'm ready to throw it. I'm ready to do what I'm supposed to do. My sword is drawn. How many of you have your swords drawn when you go to work? How many of you have your swords drawn when you go home? How many of you are ready to engage in prayer, not react in prayer because something happened to you and now you need to talk to God. I'm talking about leveling up to the point where I'm praying on the offensive. I'm praying, God, do this. God, remove this. God, I'm fighting the battle that you're already fighting. And the co-worker that I'm talking about is the same person I need to take to church with me because there's a reason they got an attitude. It's a reason they're nasty. It's a reason they act like that. And there's a reason they're throwing it onto me and God is teaching me how to fight this battle not this person because he's already there wrestling and there's something that's being brought out of them when I'm around and that's a spiritual thing because gangster recognize gangster, spirit recognize spirit and I come to my job with a bigger sword. I wish somebody could help me preach this morning that I'm not threatening, I'm working. Okay, so here's the second thing Jesus is not. Here's, I like this one. Jesus is not on your side. I know you don't like that. I know you don't like hearing that. Jesus says, wait a minute. Am I on your side? No, I'm, I'm on nobody's side. I'm on my side. Nationwide is at your side, but not me. Now, that's offensive, right? Because, because some of us, we see God through the lens of a broken relationship, especially from a father. And sometimes we associate our fatherly experience to God. And we have, most of us, if not all of us, in some form, have felt and experienced fatherlessness or abandonment. 
And so we want God to be other than what we've experienced in a fatherly way. And so we feel like God should be supporting us and on us and with us and opposite of what we've seen. Because all of us wanted our father to be on our side. All of us wanted our father to say, great job. All of us wanted our father to be proud of us and to be there for us. So we almost want to fit God into that because he is a good father and say, God, you're going to be on my side. You're going to support me and you're going to be on my team. Reality is, our side is flawed. Our side has agendas. Our side has brokenness. Our side has motives. Our sides have, have things that we want to get done. And it would be wrong to say, God, I need you to do this for me. Because the things that we ask for sometimes are things that God already said he would do because he's good. Amen. Well, God, can you do this for me? Yeah. I'm already doing that for you. I'm already taking care of you. God, can you help me pay my bills? I gave you a check. What'd you do with it? You don't want to give? You don't want to serve? Now you want me to bail you out. That's not my battle. He's good. Come on. He is really good. Because sometimes he does stuff anyway. Even though we messed up, he still does it. So here's the advantage. I know it's offensive to say he's not on your side, but here's the advantage. It's not about saying, God, get on my side. It's me getting on your team. Can I give you a modern one? It's not begging God to come to Cleveland, LeBron, to stay in Cleveland. It's finding how I can get traded to the Lakers. Can I come somebody? <laughs> can I get traded? Can y'all can y'all trade me out of Cleveland? I'll sit on the bench. I just if LeBron's on the team, I'm following LeBron. I'm just saying. Because if LeBron's on the team, I'm gonna win. So it's not God come on my side. It's let me get on your side. Let me join you where you're already working. Because that's inconvenient. When God says, I'm working over here, which means I'm not requiring any negative attitude or negative thinking. If you're on my team, that means you got to serve. You're on my team, that means you got to give. If you want to be around me, that means you can't watch that. You can't eat like that. You can't talk like that. You can stay on your team. If you want to be on my team, we do things different. Here's what I love about being on his team. He doesn't lose. He don't lose. Amen. So if I'm on his side, I'm a winner. Amen. If I'm on his side, it's the championship, back to back. So Jesus is not on your side. He's asking us to be on his side. Here's, here's the last one I love. Jesus does not forget his promises. He fulfills them. I almost missed this. I almost missed this in the text. Here's why I got caught up. Because I was like, okay, he, rec- he recognizes who Jesus is. He says, all right. He drops to his knees. He says, I'm at your command. He says, what do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I almost missed this. It seemed a little weird to me, right? His question was pretty direct. What do you want me to do? God, I want to serve you. What's the next step? 
He's saying, I'm not on the next step. I'm on the step I already told you. Okay, I'm going to back this up. See, we got to go to Joshua chapter 1. So when Joshua is introduced to his new leadership role, he says, in Joshua chapter 1, I guess I have to turn it to him. Joshua chapter 1, he promises, I'll just read it from the screen. After the death of Moses, let me read this, what happened here. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. He says, Moses is dead. Moses can't lead anymore. Moses can't decide anymore. Moses can't intercede. He's gone. It's your turn. Therefore, I love what he said, the time has come for you to lead. This, this is what leveling up is about. You do understand this, right? That, that, that there's a time in your, in your life in spiritual maturity that God says, it's time for you to lead. It's time for you to take charge. It's time for you to be the prayer warrior and lead. It's time for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and into the land I'm giving them. I promise you, listen to this promise, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be, you will be on land I have given you. Wherever you go, Joshua, it's going to be yours. Let's keep going. From the Negev, Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon, Lebanon mountains, to the north, from the Euphrates River, to the east of the Mediterranean Sea, to the west, including all the land of the Hittites, Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses, I will not fail you or abandon you. This is what Jesus told Joshua. Let me go back to my point. Jesus does not forget his promises. He fulfills them. Then it makes sense. When I went back here, it made sense. He told him, I will be with you, Joshua, as I was with Moses. Joshua, you're different. Joshua, you got a whole new mission, but I'm not, and, and Moses is dead. Moses' methods are dead. Moses' leadership is dead. It's now your turn, and I'm going to be with you as I was with Moses. This is what I love about it. So when he comes face to face and encounter with Jesus, the commander in chief, what is he telling him to do? Take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. And what I kept scratching my head was, where did I hear that before? That sounds so familiar. I remember when Moses walked by a burning bush, and God spoke to him and said, take off your shoes, because where you're standing is holy ground. And God gave Moses the assignment and said, this is your burning bush experience. Amen. And so what God is doing with Joshua is fulfilling the promise. He said, I'm never going to leave you. Wherever you step, you're going to be successful. Whatever place, no one's going to be able to stand against you. And I'm giving you your own burning bush experience. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Sorry. 
I want you to know, Joshua, that I'm with you. Mm -hmm. This is what I love. Jesus does not forget his promises. Sometimes we forget his promises or are completely unaware of them, but he fulfills every promise that he gives. It may not be right away. It may not be on our time. It may be when we're fighting battles we shouldn't fight. But at some point, God's going to reveal to us that I've been working on your behalf. My sword is already drawn, and I'm already here before you get here. In other words, I'm going to stay on the scene with a gangster lean. And before you even start fighting Jericho, I'm already here fighting. Because I told you, every place you step, no one's going to be able to stand against you. And the reason is when you step, I'm already stepping in front of you. I'm two steps ahead of you. And my sword is drawn. And I'm ready to fight. And nobody can stand up against me. So all you got to do is walk in my footsteps. And as you swing your sword, I've already swung my sword. As you throw your spear, I've already thrown my spear. Because this battle is not your battle. This is my battle. All you got to do is get in line and step, step with me. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Just keep your eyes focused on where I'm going and stay on the scene when it gets to me. I'll cut you down with this sword. I'll build you up with this sword. I'll bring people back to life with this sword. I'll build a church with this sword. I'll change a community with this sword. I'll change lives with this sword. I'll change families with this sword. I'll do the impossible with this sword. I want a Grammy with this sword. I want to put millionaires in the church on the east side with this sword. All you gotta do is walk with me step by step. It's not your battle, it's his battle. Ask God for the courage to fight and watch what the Lord will do for you. Praise his name.